What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Tuesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are, of course, a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You guys can find me over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, also at EthosFantasyBB. That is the company account for baseball. All of our new content gets posted out from there, whether it be podcasts, articles, different news and notes that go out directly to Twitter. Everything is there in your feed at EthosFantasyBB. A lot of exciting stuff we've talked about over the last couple weeks, probably going back a month at this point. I've lost track. Uh, hyping up our draft guide that's going to be coming out over the next week and a half or so. Uh, the guys are hard at work on their different articles. My rankings are pretty close to complete. Uh, got a little bit more to do in starting pitching because it's just so deep. And also outfield. Uh, those are the two positions that I'm still finalizing, but we're pretty much there. Uh, we're pretty much ready for the draft guide. It's going to be coming out, I'm going to say, roughly 10 days from now. Uh, you know, our goal was Valentine's Day, roughly. We're going to probably be a couple days behind that. Just want to make sure everything is perfect before it gets sent out. And then that won't be the end of it. There's going to be a lot of stuff that gets added to the draft guide after the fact. It won't just be a one-time release. Uh, we'll continue putting pieces in there up until the regular season starts. And then it'll be in-season content, which you guys will also get in your feed at Ethos Fantasy BB. Two-start pitching articles, hot players to pick up, guys you can drop, trade targets. There's going to be tons of regular weekly articles. Some of them... I mean, most of them are probably going to be on a weekly basis, but there's going to be a ton of stuff coming out there. So make sure you check it out. Last thing before we get going, I've mentioned it before, but be in the lookout for the It's Gone podcast. It's going to be in your feeds coming up very soon. It's going to be hosted by my friend, Britton Allen, who's appeared on the show before. We hung out in Arizona together. He's one of the best people in the industry. Very, very honored that we have him here at Sports Ethos now. So make sure you're looking out in your podcast feeds. It's not there just yet, but it'll be there over the next week or so. It's going to be titled It's Gone. Make sure you guys hit it with a sub and leave a nice review to get Britain uh, started off the ground uh, with, with some nice reviews there in the bank because he deserves it. The show is great. I've heard the pilot episode, and it's going to be more of the same coming forward every single week from him. So without further ado... You guys have seen the title of the show. We're back to rankings, and we're a day late. Yesterday, I wanted, we're actually a couple days late. I tend to release them on a Friday. You know, we had Mike Curland on last Friday, and I could have released that show Monday, I guess, but I wanted to put it out right away. Uh, well, I guess I talked to him Thursday, and we put it out Friday. And then Yahoo opened up their mock draft. So yesterday, we went and we did a 12-team, uh, you know, head-to-head, five-by-five mock draft for Yahoo. Uh, you guys should go check that out if you haven't already. But today... We are going to be looking at shortstop rankings. It's a tough position to rank. Uh, I mean, they're all tough positions to rank, which is what I've realized more and more uh, going through the motions this year in terms of doing content. I've never put together rankings before, and I guess I thought they'd be a lot easier than they are. Uh, they're not. They are They are tricky. They take a lot of time. you got to factor in different projections. Uh, look at you know past year's production, which I know projections try and factor in. But you got to use your own head as well. Because if you didn't, then you just look at the projections, put them through an auction calculator, and those would be your rankings. But we are going to we are going to go into it here. We're going to talk about why I have players ranked where I do. Some of it's personal preference. Uh, most of it, it really comes down to personal preference. I'm trying to avoid looking at ADP stuff as much as it is in my head still. Uh, it's very hard to get it out once you've looked at it. But we have tried to eliminate as much of it as we possibly can here. So let's get started. Let's talk about the number one ranked shortstop that I have. It shouldn't be much of a surprise for those of you who have listened to the show. If you saw my content last year, if you heard me do different guest appearances talking about this guy on different shows, it's Trey Turner. Trey Turner is probably my favorite fantasy player of all time. Uh, I know I haven't been playing fantasy forever, but I've been playing it for about six, seven years now, and that's pretty much the length of Trey Turner's dominance here. 
uh, in Major League Baseball and in fantasy as well. The projections are very good. The only real worry with him would be new year, new team. Not sure what it's going to be like in a different ballpark, different, you know, everything changes and we kind of avoid uh, looking at the human element to things sometimes and we just look at it as if these guys are robots or it's a video game. But there is something you have to consider for, okay, he's in a new city, he's going to maybe have to get adjusted to, you know, new teammates and a new environment and yada, yada, yada. But even with that being said, I think he has arguably the safest floor in fantasy. You could easily take him as your number one overall player for fantasy. He is number two right now for me. I've thought about having him as number three. He was originally number one, and then I pushed up Jose, uh, pushed up Jose Ramirez to number one. And I'm still working on the overall rankings, but he is a very, very defendable, defensible pick. Uh, at the one zero one, if you guys do get the first pick, I'd probably go Ramirez just because of the scarcity at third base. But when you look at what Trey Turner does every year, you're getting great power, you're getting great speed, you're getting a great batting average and great counting stats. Every single year, this is what he does. And especially now that we don't have to worry about him being in Washington, the RBI numbers were never the greatest in Washington. Uh, We saw last year on a good team what he could do. Uh, 100 RBIs for him, 101 runs, and he's projected to have not quite the same number depending on where you look. Uh, Generally for about 80 to 90 RBIs, which is definitely a bump up from what we were seeing in Washington typically in the 45 to about 60 range, uh, about 70 MBS 2021. He split it, and he had 77, ending up uh, you know, part of the season with the Dodgers, which definitely helped. But he's got the safest floor that you can look at, especially at this position. You're going to get your 20 home runs. You're going to get at least 20, 25 stolen bases, and I think there's a chance we could even see him return to 30-plus. We got the rules that are changing this year. Uh, with the bigger bases and the pickoff rules. And what, I, what I'd what i mentioned in the past, and a lot of people had mentioned, is that I don't think it'll make a zero-steal guy into a 10-steal guy or a 5-steal guy into a 15-17-steal guy. But it'll help these guys who are already incredibly fast, like Trey Turner, uh, go from like 25 steals to maybe 30, 32 steals. It'll just help those faster guys gain a little bit more of an edge. It's not going to turn non-runners into runners. That's not what these new rules are going to do. They're just going to help out the guys who can already run. And considering last year he didn't run as much as he was capable of, uh, you know, the Dodgers didn't need to run him as much. I believe he was batting third a lot of the time. So, I mean, he was in more of an RBI spot. I'm just going to pull that up here, uh, the batting order splits for him. But I think that he was a lot of the time uh, batting third for them. Now he is likely to return to either a, probably the two spot. I know that Philadelphia likes to bat Kyle Schorber first. So there's a chance we see him bat second. But even then, uh, you know, there's a very good chance that we see him stealing more bases in Philadelphia than we did in Los Angeles. And I think 30-plus is probably what we can expect. Uh, so he batted, uh, it was actually kind of an even little split. He was leading off 23 times. He batted second 78 times, and he batted third 59 times. So generally not in, like, the top of the order, uh, even though that's probably where he belongs. I think Philadelphia probably should lead him off. I think that is his ideal spot considering his speed and everything but considering the on-base uh skills of Kyle Schwarber I guess either one wouldn't shock me but regardless uh being out of Los Angeles I would expect him to steal more bases you're probably going to see 200 runs and RBIs put together at the very worst you're talking like 185 190 kind of range for Trey Turner and at that point uh, I think we are all going to be very much in on him no, no real worries other than the fact that it is a new city and maybe there is some adjustment. Also, the fact of, hey, he just got a, a big new contract. Maybe he doesn't think that he needs to you know, give it that 100% effort. I don't really buy into that, uh, but I guess there could be something in the back of players' minds of, I've earned my money now. 
I don't have to be going uh, crazy to try and earn another contract because he signed his last contract that he's going to in Major League Baseball. I don't think that that has a big impact, but I think it's definitely still something we have to kind of think about in the back of our head. But it doesn't change the way I feel about Trey Turner as the number one shortstop. The guy is incredibly elite. The upside is 30-30 with 100 runs, 100 RBIs, and a 300 batting average. The batting average is a huge piece of it with Trey Turner. We're going to move off him in a second. But the batting average, he is projected for, I'm looking at ATC projections because that's kind of my go-to. He is projected for the best batting average at the position. So give me Trey Turner. Give me Trey Turner all day. He's also projected for the most runs. He's right up there in terms of homers, and he's right up there in terms of stolen bases as well. So give me Trey Turner all day as the number one shortstop. Probably talked about him longer than I needed to. I think it's fairly obvious for a lot of people that he is the number one. But he is my favorite, probably my favorite player in fantasy. So maybe we spend a little bit longer than we needed to. But regardless, let's move on. Let's talk about number two on my list, Mr. Bobachette. And Boba Shett, the only real kind of worry, I guess, we talked about him yesterday because I took him in the mock draft. The only real concern is if the stolen base numbers don't come back up. But I think we can expect at least a little bit of a boost from what we saw last year. He was not at his best in terms of stolen bases, uh, in terms of even the attempts. Like, he was getting caught a lot more than we saw the previous year. In 2021, he was 25 of 26 stealing bases, I believe. Uh, where is it? Yeah, 25 of 26. And then this past year, he was 13 of 21. Everything else was fairly similar. I know the runs went down quite a bit, uh, went down 30 runs, but that was more because of the team, the team not producing offensively the same way they did in 2021, which was a stupid year. Semyon had a career year. Teoscar Hernandez had a career year. Vladdy had a career year. Bo had a career year. It was just a, a stupid, you know, perfect storm of offense for the Blue Jays. But looking at this year for Boba Shett, I think there's no reason to think we can't get somewhere between the 2021 and 2022 numbers, which is generally what is being projected for him. You know, if you look at ATC, which is what I tend to look at here, 25 homers, 93 runs, 87 ribbies, and 16 steals. Now, I think the steals, I would personally, if I was doing projections, probably have him closer to 20 because I think that he is probably going to steal a little bit more given what we said, you know, the same argument as Trey Turner, those quicker guys are going to just get a little bit more of a boost. So where you would have expected probably about 50 and 17 from Bo, uh, I'd say probably closer to 20. But at that point, you're kind of splitting hairs a little bit. He's another five-category contributor here. He is somebody who gives you production all across the board, and you are very safe to take him at the end of the first round. Now, he is the third shortstop by ADP. <clears throat> if you guys listen to the third base ranking show, I'm sure you can figure out who I've bumped down below him. Uh, it's Bobby Witt Jr., but just in terms of shortstop here, uh, I'm definitely taking Boba Shett. You're getting a better batting average. You're getting similar power. You're going to have better counting stats, and you, you might suffer a little bit in stolen bases. But I don't see any need to be taking Boba Shett ahead, or, or excuse me, taking Bobby Witt Jr. ahead of Boba Shett. I guess the eligibility is where some people will come from there because Bobby Witt's going to be eligible at third base. For me, I don't think that that really is enough to push him ahead of Bichette. They're pretty close in terms of the overall stat set. But Bichette's giving you five-category production, where with Bobby Witt, you're getting like, I'm going to say three and a half, because you're getting home runs, you're getting stolen bases. The runs and RBIs, I think the projections are probably pretty good, but they might be a, a little lofty at the same time, 85 and 80. I don't know if we're going to see that 100% from Bobby Witt Jr., where I don't have any real worries. And I know that's kind of what he did last year. But I just don't really trust the Kansas City offense as much. I like I tried earlier in the offseason. I really tried to trust Kansas City's offense in terms of looking at them and projecting them and 
you know, I was very trying to be very optimistic in terms of the outlook for guys like Bobby Witt and guys like Vinny P and Melendez. But at the end of the day, it is still not a great offense. So even though those were generally his numbers last year, 82 and 80, uh, I think that, you know, 85 runs and 80 RBIs is about as much as we can hope for with him. Played 150 games. It was, you know, about, you know, as much as you're going to hope for with anybody, about 150 games. So I think that that's probably the higher end of the spectrum for me with Bobby Witt. Don't know that I would be expecting uh, those same kind of counting stats where with Boba very comfortably you can say he's going to have 90 runs and 90 RBIs. And if he had 100 and 100, it wouldn't shock you. It really wouldn't. He had 102 RBIs in 2021. And he had 93 this past year. And for the most part of 2022, it was kind of a down year for Bo. Uh, he wasn't produced into the same rate that we expect of him. And then the last month or so, he surged and got those totals back up and ended up being, I believe, a second-round player last year in terms of his value. No no question for me that he should be number two right here. There's there's not really much debate. Uh, give me Boba Shett every single day ahead of Bobby Witt Jr. as the number two uh, shortstop here. I'm very confident. There's still probably room to grow as well at 24. He's going to be 25 uh, next month but he's not even in his prime yet. He is an absolute stud, and we should be treating him as such at the end of the first round. Definitely a huge target of mine. But let's move on. Let's talk about number three here. We're going to go 15 deep. I don't know if I mentioned that at the, off the top, but we're going to go 15 shortstops today. I've been doing 10 and 10 and 10 on my ranking shows, typically doing uh, 30 guys for each. I know third base, we did 20, because after that, it's kind of messy, figuring it out still. Uh, I wasn't quite ready to talk about it on a podcast, still working out it, and I think we're going to just you know, forego that rest of that third base one, and we'll just have a written piece about it. But going forward, I want to be as time conservative uh, as possible here. So we're going to be doing 15 and 15 in terms of the rankings going forward. So we'll talk 15 names today. Number three on my list is not Bobby Witt Jr., it is Fernando Tatis Jr. And Fernando Tatis Jr., despite the fact that he is going to miss, I believe it is 20 games right off the top, like you could make an argument for him as the number one shortstop this year. It wouldn't be crazy. It really wouldn't be, despite you know the lower projections on him than we have on other guys. In terms of the games played, uh, the actual production is expected to be right in line with everybody else. By WRC+, Plus, he is number one with 154. Next, we have Corey Seager, actually, and third is Carlos Correa, but there's a jump of, like, 20-plus points in, in WRC+. Plus. And if you look at the home runs, even in 117 games, he's projected to lead shortstops in home runs, while also giving you 19 stolen bases and about 160 runs, 165 runs and RBIs put together. All that while giving you a good batting average, one of the better batting averages you're going to find at the position. And I think Fernando Tatis Jr. pretty comfortably for me fits into the number three shortstop ranking. Now, there is a little bit of worry. He's got, had a couple surgeries. Uh, I think it was actually might have been three surgeries. It was a couple on his shoulder and one on his wrist, I think. Um, there is there is risk. There's also the fact that he just did get suspended for using PEDs. And as much as I don't want to factor that in, you kind of do need to think about it a little bit. How much of his play over the last couple of years was influenced by this? How long was he using it for? I'm not sure if we have exact dates on it. And even if we did, how much we can actually trust those dates. Was his performance at all? Is his talent at all influenced by those PEDs? Or on the other side of the coin, was it just something he used to try and recover from injury faster? I, I haven't read so, so much about the specifics regarding... Uh, his PED use, to be honest with you. So I'm not 100% sure how much that really will factor in, but I think given the fact that we've he's been a stud since he was a kid, we have to kind of just you know assume that this is generally who he is. Maybe he's not quite as 
I don't know. He probably is quite as good as we think he is. I was about to say that, and I caught myself because, I mean, that's something that's going to be in the back of our heads probably forever now, the PEDs with him. And it's something that I can't shake. But at the same time, if you look at 2021, he played 130 games. He had 42 homers and 25 stolen bases while giving you 196 runs and RBIs put together. Imagine if he played 162 games. Like, you're talking about 50 homers, 35 steals, 120 runs, 120 ribbies. And he batted 282. The games are not going to be there this year, but that is the full potential of Tatis. It's giving you, you know, like, 50 home runs. It's literally that is the upside there, 50 home runs and, like, 40 steals. Uh, I don't know if he's ever going to get those numbers. He probably won't because nobody ever has, but it's within the range of outcomes, which is scary. Missing, the like, the games missed at the beginning of the year is really the big reason why I'd put him below Bichette because I think you could make the argument. You really could to put him one or two and I wouldn't give you grief about it based on the production that we're expecting, based on the production we've seen, and based on the lineup around him. Like, the lineup around him is ridiculous. I'm not sure where he's going to bat, if it's going to be third or second or fourth. Like, it doesn't even really matter uh, the way that they arrange it with Soto, Machado, Bogarts, Cronenworth, Tatis. Uh, it, it's a stupid lineup, and they've added Nelson Cruz, Matt Carpenter as veteran depth in that lineup as well. I love, I love that team. And I think that there is a chance that they will win the World Series. That was my prediction at the end of the season, that they would be the World Series champions uh, for this coming year. You know, I, I thought I was going to be a year early because of the way they were doing in the playoffs. I thought there was a chance. But I think this might be their year. And Tatis is really primed to come back. He's 24 years old. It's crazy to think that he is my age. Uh, it's actually ridiculous that he's 24 years old still, and this is what he's done already. But he is primed to have a show-off kind of season because he's been doubted. He's been sl not slandered. It's been justified, you know, the down talk of him in the media and in the fantasy community as well. It's been justified based on the fact that he missed all of last season. He's been reckless as a player in the past. We've seen him get in, you know, multiple motorcycle accidents and just bullshit that you don't want to see with anybody. Uh, when they asked him last year, you know, how was the accident? What, what happened? Describe it. I believe his response was, which accident? So... This guy's a little bit of a loose cannon. There's also the fact that he's coming back from these surgeries. We don't know exactly how he's going to perform. But at his age, I think we can expect him to bounce back. 24 years old. We've seen the upside already. Like I said, it's like 50 and 40 with like a 250 runs in RBIs in a 300 average. That is the upside. So I put him at third. You could put him a little bit higher or lower depending on your risk willingness, uh, your willingness to take risks. But I think that three is probably the correct spot. I wish I did a couple drafts when he was going in the 30s still. He was going to the third round. At this point, like, I'm looking at draft champions ADP from January 1st onwards. His minimum pick is seven. Someone took him at seven. So the market has definitely changed on him. If you took him in those early drafts, you were able to get him in the second or maybe even the third round because of the risk uh, that people were anticipating and the risk that there is uh, around Fernando Tatis Jr. for this season. You're not getting him there anymore. You're getting him in the second round. It'll probably end up being closer to the first round by the time we get the draft season. But I think, honestly, it's probably going to be justified. And unless we get into the point where he's like a top 10 pick, that would make me a little bit nervous. But, you know, anywhere from like end of the first and even beginning of the second onwards, I would be jumping on him. Uh, it's going to, especially in a 15-teamer, like he is going to be probably a huge value. So, I mean, it depends on how high he goes up the draft boards, but as of right now, he is he's going to be a big target of mine in the second round because that kind of production does not usually exist in the second round, despite the risks that are associated with it. 
Now, Bobby Wood Jr. is who I have at fourth. I've talked a lot about Bobby Wood Jr. We'll go on him for a second here. Um, you know, if you want to hear a lot about it, listen to my third base rankings. Also, go listen to the Sleeper in the Bust episode that I did a week and a half ago with Justin Mason because we went into this in depth about Bobby Witt Jr. and why he was ranked as my fifth third baseman. I have him fourth in terms of my shortstops, and I feel very confident in that. Uh, you know, you could even push him farther down the board, you could argue, uh, based on the risks that I talked about earlier with the fact that the lineup really dries up in the second half. Uh, his on-base skills are not the greatest. You know, we're looking at probably about a 300 on-base percentage. He doesn't walk very much. You're looking at good power and good stolen base numbers, but I just don't know if that's really worth paying for where he is going in drafts because he is stupidly expensive right now. He's going off the board around pick eight. Minimum pick just since January 1st is five, and if you look at all draft champions, it's three. Someone took him third overall. I can't get behind it. It's not something that I'm going to be doing this year. Looking at Yahoo's draft boards yesterday, Bobby Wood Jr.'s ADP was about 18. And those draft boards are a shit show right now. They're still figuring out. People are still figuring out like where to draft people. Walker Bueller, in my draft yesterday, he was going, I forget where he went, but his ADP is inside the top 100. Uh, there's, and I think today when I checked, it was like 117. So you know, it's definitely the market's correcting itself. Maybe Bobby Wood Jr. will be more expensive within the next month or so. But uh, as of right now, I think he's an okay value on Yahoo. But NFBC leagues, I just can't get behind him as a top 10 pick. When I do my overall rankings, he's probably going to come in roughly about 20 or so. Um, I'm still, still figuring that out. He's, he's still someone who's he's tricky because of the third base eligibility. He's going to boost him up a little bit. But I think roughly we're going to have him around 20. And I don't think you, you should be looking at him in NFBC drafts. He's just too expensive at this point. If you get him around the max at 14... Can maybe be into it because that's the max for these last 45 drafts. But pushing him up farther than that, I would not really be about doing. All right, we've talked about him quite a bit. Like I said, go check out that Sleeper in the Bust episode from uh, last Sunday, not the one that just happened from the previous Sunday. Or you can listen to my third base rankings, the first part of it. That's where we got into Bobby Wood Jr. Uh, but we don't need to spend too much time on him because I feel like I've talked about Bobby Wood Jr. a lot this offseason. Let's move on, and we'll talk about number five, somebody that I haven't talked probably enough about Corey Seager, and I am a big Corey Seager guy. I've moved him up uh, to fifth in my rankings. He's sixth by ADP, and there's kind of a big gap between him and the guy going ahead of him in terms of ADP. It's Francisco Lindor, who is one spot below him in my own rankings. I've just flip-flopped them, and I think the reason is I am just very excited about what we can see with no shift from Corey Seager. Corey Seager is a 300 batter like he he can bat 300 he's shown us that and there's a good chance that he will do that again sans shift this season I think I mean if you look at his previous year's batting averages he's a 287 career hitter in his full seasons he's batted 308 295 272 and then there's you know some partial seasons in there we're talking 50 games 90 games almost always over 300 and then this year the BABIP was absolutely atrocious. It was the only time in his career it's been below 300. And previously, like, we're talking a 317 career BABIP. We're looking at, like, oh, again, looking at the full seasons, 355, 352, 303. They've shifted him, right? They shifted the hell out of him, and that suppressed his batting average. He's not a 245 hitter. He's nowhere near a 245 hitter if you look historically, and there's no reason to think that he should be with the shift now being removed. You have to have two... Uh, infielders on either side of second base. And that's going to be a huge thing for Corey Seager now when we're talking about his his shifted balls because he sh he hits the ball um to the right side like every single time. Like he is a he is a serious pull hitter. He was 
shifted like 90 plus percent of, I think he might've been the most shifted player in baseball. I'd have to go back and check Michael Fisher's article uh, that was out a few weeks ago on, on the website on Sports Ethos, probably about a month ago now, actually. Uh, but he had graphics there showing the most shifted players. I believe that he was, he's, if he's not the most shifted player, he was in the top two or three. And that shift going away this year is going to lead to a lot more hits for Corey Seager. That lineup around him, pretty damn good as well. We've talked about Texas's lineup being, you know, they're not a juggernaut or anything like that, but they are pretty sneakily uh, going to be a very good team this year offensively, I think, depending on, of course, what happens with Adelise Garcia, because there's always question about if Garcia can repeat and what Marcus Semien will do. And, you know, Nathaniel Lau just had kind of a breakout year. Can he, can he repeat that kind of thing? There are some questions, but we're looking at a very strong lineup where he should not lack for counting stats. And I know that I've, that's kind of my go-to phrase here when we're talking about these kind of players, but it's true. I mean, he's batting second or projected to bat second. Maybe they bat him third sometimes, move it around a little bit. But he's going to bat second in a lineup where he is sandwiched between Semyon and Lau, followed by Garcia, Jonah Heim, Josh Young. Like, it, it has the potential to be a very good lineup. And I think the projections for Corey Seager, you know, they're probably about right, but they may even be a touch conservative in terms of his runs and RBIs. They have him down for 84 and 82 a couple of chip-in steals, and a 278 batting average. The batting average, that's probably about right, but I would not be surprised if we're over 280. Uh, no projection system has him for over 280, but you know, in the past, again, 337, 308, 295. Uh, it was 267 in 2018, but that was only over 26 games. 272, 307, 306. He is a 300 hitter. Like He is a legitimate 300 hitter. The career number took a huge hit this year because he played 151 games at 245. But he's a 300 hitter. He's going to hit you at least 25 home runs. He's going to give you about 170 runs and RBIs put together. Last year was 174. Different projections have him for about 165 to about 170 this year. You know, I think 170 is a good number to to aim for there. 85 runs, 85 RBIs. And I think that could be, like I said a minute ago, on the lower end. He'll chip in a couple of steals. Overall, I'm very confident to take Corey Seager, especially because of where he's going. I pick 65 right now. We're looking at NFBC draft champions, of course, there. And I'm going to have to start specifying ADP a little bit more, and we're going to shift gradually over to Yahoo. But for right now, while Yahoo's still getting their shit together, people are still you know, doing their mock drafts and whatnot. We're using NFBC, and Corey Seager at 65 here feels like a really good guy to be targeting in the fifth round. Like He makes a lot of sense to fill in shortstop. You don't necessarily have to go for one of those high-priced guys like a Turner or a Witt or a Bichette. You wait a little bit. You fill in those shittier spots earlier on. Maybe you get a third baseman and you get a catcher and you get a, a nice closer for yourself. And then you got Corey Seager sitting there for you at pick 65. And I think that he's going to make a lot of sense in that particular spot. So give me all the Corey Seager. At the fifth shortstop ranking spot, I think everything right now uh, leads me to want to be drafting him. But the thing is, everybody is seeing the same things we're seeing about the shift. Everybody's going to want to be drafting him. He'll be somebody who gets a little more expensive, specifically in those home league sites, Yahoo and ESPN, as we get a little bit closer to the season. Let's keep it going. Francisco Lindor is my number six uh, shortstop here. Pretty close between him and Seager overall, but when you look at it, I think I'm I, not, not, I think I, I do give the edge to Seager here based on batting average, based on power, based on the fact that I think that the runs and RBIs are going to be fairly similar. If you look at the projections, they're within two runs of each other and four RBIs of each other. The only place where Lindor has him is stolen bases and Lindor's stolen bases are not crazy. They're, you know, they're, they're definitely serviceable, 
Like he gave you, what was he give you last year? Uh, 16. He gave you 10 the year before. They're not like 20 plus stolen base numbers. He's projected for about 13 and that's fine. But Corey Seager projected for, you know, anywhere from three, four steals, like uh, well closer to two, three, I guess. But it's not that much of a difference where I would necessarily be wanting to take Lindor ahead of him. And, you know, you, you can take him ahead of him. He's going two full rounds ahead of him, 30 picks. But I just don't see the need to be jumping up there to take a guy who he might have a better season. Francisco Lindor, like if he did have a better season than Seager, it wouldn't shock me. But I think it's very close, and especially considering the value that you're getting out of the Corey Seager pick, uh, he's he's pretty clearly, for me, anyway, and I mean I say pretty clearly, it, it is pretty close. It really depends on your how you want to go about building your team, if you want better batting average or if you want more stolen bases there because everything else could be potentially a wash. The, you know, 20-some-odd homers, 80-some-odd runs, 80-some-odd RBIs. Batting average is going to give Seager the advantage by about 25, 30 points, potentially as much as 50 points. And then you're going to have Lindor stealing, you know, 10, 12, maybe even 15 more bases. So it really depends on your own preference there, how you've, you know, constructed your roster through the first couple of rounds. But for me, I'm going to be taking Seager over Lindor. And it it is close. And the more I look at it, it, the closer it gets because, I mean, Lindor's projections, they could go up like 86 runs. He could score 100 runs in that lineup. It wouldn't shock me. He could drive in closer to 90. It wouldn't shock me. But I think as of right now, uh, I, I'm pretty happy to be taking Corey Seager ahead of him. And again, it is build dependent. Uh, they're, they're pretty close. But if you want that extra couple steals earlier on, you go for Lindor, I guess. If you want to secure your batting average, then you take care of it with Corey Seager. And I think either way is fairly viable. Uh, but give the edge to Corey Seager just, just ever so slightly. Number seven in these rankings is O'Neill Cruz. And O'Neill Cruz is another guy who is very tough to rank. Everybody is tough to rank is what I'm realizing. The more I do projections, the more I do rankings, everybody is kind of tricky to figure out because, you know, we think we know what's going to happen, but at the end of the day, we don't really know. Uh, when you look at the projections for O'Neill Cruz, they are pretty lofty. ATC, usually more conservative. They are the high man on him in terms of home runs. Um, in terms of RBIs, they are the high man, and they are just just slightly behind in terms of batting average and stolen bases. But 25 homers, 78 runs, 73 RBIs, 17 stolen bases, and a 245 batting average. That's really the only place where he's going to hold you back a little bit. The batting average, if it's going to be in the 240 range, that's why he is going to be a little bit lower than these other guys. And, I mean, it should be not too far off from Lindor. But I do feel a little bit more confident looking at Lindor and saying, okay, he could give us a bit of a better batting average. We've seen it in the past where, you know, it's not going to be crazy probably. But I do think that is the big difference there. Like he batted 270 this past season. Projections have him going down a little bit, but Lindor for the career is a 277 hitter. Where with O'Neill Cruz, I, you know, he's striking out a hell of a lot of the time. Uh, he's somebody where you're probably not going to see him on base quite as much. And I think you're likely going to see the batting average probably in the 230, 240 range. So that's where he's lower than Lindor for me. The other categories, again, fairly similar. The home runs are going to be a close to Lindor. Uh, the counting stats are where he is probably going to lack. And the counting stats are very tough to figure out for O'Neill Cruz because over 87 games last year, he had 45 runs and he had 54 RBIs. You know, it's about half a season. It's not exactly half, 87 games, but let's say you just double it for for the sake of argument here. You're talking about 90 runs and 108 RBIs. Let's call it, you know, 85 and 100 just to be, you know, more conservative. 
how the hell is he going to do that on the Pirates consistently with that lineup that they're trotting out there? I don't know how he did it last year over 87 games. It was very impressive. It goes to show how talented he is. But at the same time, I don't know how sustainable those paces are. And if you look at the projections, they all have a miss in about 30-some-odd games. The most games anybody has them for is ATC at 134. And it kind of makes you wonder, like, is he going to, like, they're going to trot him out there every day, you'd think. Is this factoring in, you know, there might be some injury risk. They might sit him here and there. I don't know. It just seems kind of low on the game's played projection. I think that he can, you know, he'll be, he'll beat these numbers that he had last year because he only played 87 games. But it's just a matter of how much, I guess, he's going to beat them by and how much that batting average is going to affect us. Because I, I think he will, he will get 550 plate appearances. If he does that while batting 230, 220, you know, maybe not 220, but 230, 240 range, maybe. Uh, it's going to hurt. And, you know, he's going to make up for it with the home runs and with the steals because that's what he does. The power is, like, some of the best we've ever seen. I think he had the highest max exit velocity that we've, we've ever seen in baseball in the StatCast era anyway. I can't remember what it was, 119 or something like that. He murdered a ball last year. He murdered a few balls last year. And it really does look effortless, his power. I'm just a little bit concerned about the lineup around him, how much he's actually going to end up stealing. Like, I think it could be a potentially a 20-steal season. But the projections are a little more conservative there, anywhere from 15 to 18 in terms of the steals. And uh, I just can't really get behind him at where he's going, 76. Like, in terms of the overall shortstop rankings, I actually have him one spot higher than where he is right now in terms of ADP. Like, I have him seventh. He is the eighth shortstop by ADP. But in terms of an overall context, I don't know that I can really get behind him at pick 76. It seems a little bit high uh, for somebody who is still a pretty big unknown. We know the power and the speed are there, but the lineup sucks, and I think the batting average is probably going to suffer. So in terms of like you know shortstops, I have him seventh, and I think that that's fair. But I think there's definitely uh, a room room to push him down by ADP. And I think with Yahoo, he was going to the 90s somewhere. I could be wrong. I just looked at it for a couple. I did a couple drafts off air as well yesterday. I think he was in the 90s. Even then, I, it's, it's probably okay, but in the 70s, like his minimum pick is 58 right now. Over like since, uh, since the start of 2023, the minimum pick is 58, and I just can't get behind him at that price. In terms of overall shortstops, yes, that is the general range where he's probably going to be going. Uh, the 7th, 8th shortstop in, in terms of you know the shortstop position, and then about 70 to 90 overall, depending on where you're looking. It just feels a little bit too rich for me considering what he gives you. So I like O'Neill Cruz. The potential is there for him to have like a 30-30 season uh, with like a 240 average and decent counting stats. I'm just probably not going to be buying in this year unless there is, you know, he falls in the draft dramatically or, you know, there's something like that. Because I just can't see myself reaching up to get him where he's going, which is round six or so. Uh, round seven in terms of a 15-teamer. It's a little bit risky. And I did take him in one of my drafts in Arizona. I forget exactly where I got him. That was before I really started looking at the board more. Don't know if I would necessarily do that again. And I can actually find it out here because I do have an NFBC page open on my phone. I'm kind of curious where I did take him because it's been a while since we did that draft. And bear with me for a second. I'm going to pull up the, the history of that one. That draft is over finally. That was a very, very long draft. I'd never done one. Um, that was quite that long before. Let me take a look and see um, where exactly did I draft him. And I think I can still look at the at the draft, right? I'm not great with the NFBC uh, site. I'm still fairly new to it. Oh, I think I can go to draft status. Yeah, here it is. So 
Let's see. I took him, and I'm going to have to go scrolling down because this was a 15-round draft. Or 15-team, 50-round draft here. Where did I take O'Neal Cruz? Round 7, pick 13. So, God, I'm so bad with, um, <laughs> so like 103, I guess that would be. Something like that. At that point, you know, I'll, I'll take a shot on him. And I did take a shot on him, honestly, at that price. I'm fine with it. Uh, but I don't think we should be pushing him up too much higher than where he's going because the helium is already going to bring him up. We're going to see him hit a couple of balls in spring training that are going to leave the park, leave the yard altogether. And people are going to start drafting him even higher up. So I, I'm probably going to be mostly out on him for this year as much as I love the potential. I just can't really uh, buy in at this point. Next up is Dansby Swanson. Big Dansby fan last season, even though I thought that he overperformed a little bit. He was really, really good. Uh, I think that we're going to see probably, okay, almost certainly we're going to see a downturn from what we saw last year from him because it was kind of just perfect circumstances uh, at the top of that lineup. He was raking. And I don't know that we're going to see necessarily the same thing from him in Chicago. The projections have him doing the same thing as Francisco Lindor. And I talked about this earlier. I tweeted it out. I'm just not sure that he's actually going to do that. And let me just pull up the, the tweet that I had earlier today. So Lindor's projected for 654 plate appearances, Swanson 652. They're both projected for 23 homers, 14 stolen bases, and a 253 batting average. Lindor projected for two more runs and seven more RBIs. That's it. And they're going in roughly the same place uh, draft spot-wise. I think with the projections, there might be just a little bit off there. Uh, I think that we're probably going to see a better season from Lindor, and I do have him ranked two spots higher. I think we probably saw like a perfect season from Dansby last year in a great lineup. Uh, you know, he had 25 homers, which was just shy of a career high from 2021, uh, but far and away is high in runs, RBIs, batting average, and stolen bases. I don't think that we're going to see that again necessarily from him in Chicago. It's a worse lineup. I don't, I mean, the projections. Uh, it depends which ones you look at. Some of them look a little bit better. Like, steamer projections look pretty pretty accurate for what I'm expecting. 22 homers, 80 runs, 74 ribbies, 13 steals. That feels pretty right. Not that they're that different from ATC, but you take away a few runs, you take away a few RBIs, you take away a homer, you take away a steal, and you drop the batting average a little bit. I think that that's probably going to be more in line with what he does. Now, I still really like taking him. I think that he is a fairly safe pick. Uh, Fairly safe where he's going at 83. Not that I'd be jumping to go and grab him. Uh, but I think that overall you're getting a fairly safe floor, even though there is some uncertainty given the new team and the new situation like we talked about with Trey Turner. We're not sure exactly what to expect. I think it would be like a diet version of what he did last year. That's kind of That was in my head because I was listening to Sleeper in the Bus, and that's what, what Spore and Justin were using to talk about you know different versions of players. It'll be a diet version of himself from last year. I think in terms of you know everything and the proje the projections don't have him doing the same things as last year to the same extent. They're all calling for a little bit of regression, and I think that that is correct. Specifically in much in a much worse lineup, I think that we're going to see probably twenty fewer runs, twenty fewer RBIs, you know, six seven fewer steals, and you know maybe he hits twenty five home runs again. But I think in general, uh, I'm I'm not too far off from ADP. I have him, or I should say, in terms of my rankings, I have him eighth, where he's going ninth by ADP. Pretty confident in him for this season. Um, I just, I don't have the same kind of confidence probably that some people do. I think the more I look at the 83 overall price, it feels maybe a little bit high considering a couple of the guys going below him that we're going to talk about in a second. 
not somebody that I'm a big that like big time targeting here, especially at the minimum pick at 64. I I can't get behind it. I like him, but the more I look at him, the lower I want to put him. And there's a chance, honestly, that I might even lower him one spot behind the next guy we're going to talk about uh, because I just think that we could see a really big season from this guy. And that guy is Xander Bogarts. And I know that Xander Bogarts is not the sexiest fantasy player anymore. He is the 10th shortstop going off the board by ADP. I have him at 9. He's going to pick 91 on average. That does feel pretty good to me. Like, if you're getting him there... Uh, I think you're going to be in for uh, at least an equal return on your investment, if not a positive one, based on the fact that he is now in a good lineup again. Like, we've seen what he can do in a good lineup, and it's very nice. It's very enticing. He can hit 300, first of all. Xander Bogarts is capable of hitting 300. And at this position, not that many people are. For the career, he's a 292 hitter, 307 last year, 295, 300, 309, 288. It's weighed down a little bit by his first full season where he was 240 and those, you know, a cup of coffee the year before where he was 250. But he's a 300 hitter. He has 25 home run upside. And in that lineup, we've seen what he can do in a good lineup. He could give you 100 runs and 100 RBIs. It is possible. He's done it once, and he also had 115 runs in 2016. Like, we're not going to see him steal probably as much as we might hope. In that lineup, I don't know that we need to, considering there is you know other quick guys in that lineup. I don't know if he's going to steal that much, you know, five to eight steals probably, uh, while giving you fifteen to twenty home runs. That's you know, probably maybe even a little bit light. Like he had fifteen last year, but I think that we could probably see an increase. And the projections are all calling for a, an increase of about three to five home runs, depending on where you look. Um, Fangraphs, depth chart projections have him for twenty. Zips have him for twenty. Um, you know, some places have him for 18, but everybody's calling for an increase in home runs. The counting stats will increase in that lineup. Like that Boston team last year was dreadful. We're going to see him, you know, have more than 84 runs and 73 RBIs. By how much, I'm not sure, but I would definitely take the over on both of those numbers. When you factor in the good batting average as well, like you could justifiably rank him like seventh. You could put him ahead of O'Neill Cruz and it would totally make sense. I'm not doing it. I'm not there yet, but the more I look at it, I think I am going to put him ahead of Dansby. Uh, I think that I like the profile better. It's safer, all five categories, even though it might not be as flashy in terms of home runs. Uh, you know, Dancy will probably hit six, seven more home runs than him. But everything else should be fairly close. And, you know, another guy in a new situation, but it is a better situation. He didn't downgrade teams where you could argue that, you know, you could argue that Trey Turner did. I wouldn't. I think that it's a, an, at least an even comp there between what the Dodgers are going to be rolling out and what Philly rolls out. And Dansby Swanson definitely downgraded teams. With, with Bogarts, Clear upgrade, clear lineup upgrade, and I think that we could see a big season from him. He's not declining yet. He is still, is he turned 30 yet? Uh, he turned 34 months ago. He's just turned 30 years old recently. And I think we could still see, you know, prime kind of Bogarts minus the steals, where he's giving you 25 homers, 100 runs, 100 RBIs, call it eight steals, 10 best case scenario, and a 300 batting average. There's a lot to like, specifically in that lineup. And I think at the price, it really makes sense here. Most recent drafts, he's going 91. And the minimum pick is a little crazy at 43 in the third round. I don't think I'd be doing that. But, you know, he could. That is the potential, right? He could be a top 50 player in fantasy, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. If he does, you know, yeah, it it really wouldn't. Maybe a little bit. Maybe that might be, like, the best-case scenario, like the 45th, 50th player. But it really wouldn't shock me. The more I look at it, the more I look at the overall projections. Uh, I'm pretty big on Xander Bogart, so 
he's number nine for me, and I'm thinking I'm probably going to move him up ahead of Dansby Swanson the more that I look at it. Moving on to round out the top ten is Tim Anderson. And I think that we are discrediting Tim Anderson a little bit here based on the fact that he didn't play very much last year. And when he did play, he was a little underwhelming. Uh, he wasn't, you know, he was not great. We talked about him at length on the White Sox preview we did with Mike Carter. And we're, we're expecting a bounce back from him. And I don't know how great it's going to be, but you're going to get 300 batting average or you're going to get somewhere close to 300 batting average. And those guys, you know, they're not the rarest in terms of shortstop, but, you know, in terms of everybody that can potentially hit 300 for you, there's Trey Turner, there's Tatis, there's Boba Shett, there's Corey Seager, Sander Bogarts. Like, there's actually more guys that more that I look at it, but we're kind of at the end of the range by ADP pretty much um, where you're going to keep getting those positive batting average guys. Wander Franco, who we'll talk about in a minute, is another guy who can give you positive batting average. <clears throat> Nico Horner, to some extent, will as well, um, but with kind of lacking peripheral categories. And then, you know, there's some other guys who you might get decent batting average from. <clears throat> but those 280-plus guys kind of dry up at this point. You know, you might still get a good batting average from Gene Segura or from, you know, a Jose Iglesias or guys like that. But in terms of our premier shortstops, this is kind of the end of the batting average run. And even as I say that, there are guys you can find that aren't going to kill you just because of the nature of batting averages in the league at this point. You're going to get guys who can bat you 260, 270. That's a relative positive the way the batting average is uh, this day and age, where guys are batting 230, 220, and that's you know average or potentially above average at 235. You're getting close to 300 with Tim Anderson, and 300 is probably what you can expect. The projections have him a little bit below because projections tend to be a bit conservative by nature. <clears throat> but if you look at every year going back to 2019, 301, 309, 322, 335, you're getting 300 batting average. You're getting 15-ish home runs. You're getting good counting stats in that lineup. Specifically, the runs at the top of that lineup should be plentiful for Tim Anderson. It's going to be a bounce-back year for that White Sox team in general. We've talked about that, how last year – Kind of give him a mulligan. Tony La Russa, I don't know, the magic ran out with Tony La Russa. He's, historically, he is still one of the better managers we've seen in history, and you can you can debate me all day on that one. Uh, you can just look at the rings and look at the track record and what he's done. He's, a, he's still a great manager historically. The magic kind of ran out last year. He kind of maybe pushed it a little bit past the expiration date, and it didn't go well for the White Sox in general. And Tim Anderson only played half the season. He was hurt. But even in that half a season, you know, he played 79 games, Let's just double his numbers and talk about what he'd give you in a full season. It would have been 12 homers, 26 steals, 100 runs, 50 RBIs, and a 301 batting average. Very, very, very productive season. Now, he missed time, and you have to factor that in, and the projections do factor that in, that they have him for about anywhere from 100 and, well, Zips actually has him for 109 games. They are by far the lowest projection there. ATC has him for 132. Um, you know, the bat, uh, no, Zips depth chart. So there's two different Zips. There's... Projections are kind of complicated if you're not familiar with them. The Zips depth charts will just take, I think, Dan Zimborski's projections and then put them in based on playing time. Uh, those ones have him for 139 games. And I think that's probably the closest one to accurate is the Zips DC projections for Tim Anderson. 16 homers, 89 runs, 57 ribbies, 18 steals, and a 293. Although I do think you, you know, if it's over or under 299 for Tim Anderson, if you could bet that, I doubt you can. 
Uh, although maybe you can on some random sports book, I would take the over. I think the 300 is pretty much guaranteed with him. You're going to see a bounce back in that lineup where he's giving you, you know, not five category production, but, you know, call it three, three and a half decent homers, you know, very good steals. The RBIs are probably not going to be great, but that's pretty much the only place where he's not going to really produce for you is RBIs. Everywhere else, you're getting a hell of a lot of value from Tim Anderson, and you're getting value especially because people are kind of discrediting him this year. He's typically been a top 50 fantasy pick. This year, he's going pick 94 roughly uh, on average. We're looking at the last 45 drafts. Minimum pick is 76. Maximum is 108. So with Tim Anderson, I am, I'm pretty interested at that price. I really do like him. He's 12th by ADP. I have him at 10, and I'd be taking him all day. Honestly, the more I look at it, I'd pick 93. Very, very happy to take Tim Anderson. And I've tried to avoid ADP as much as I can. I do tend to look at it because that's just, you know, you do drafts, you look at ADP, you compare. We were doing it yesterday with the NFBC drafts. Specific to position, I've tried to avoid it, which is why sometimes I get a little bit surprised. 12 even just to see it there, like it does feel surprising uh, with Tim Anderson, even though it's something that I, you know, I've probably seen a million times throughout draft season. He just feels like he is going a little bit lower than he probably should based on what we've seen from him historically. So give me all the Tim Anderson you can there. I pick 94. Uh, I'll be happy with it. Now, next up, he's a guy who I've pushed down a little bit in my projections, in my rankings in total. And I don't want to, because I really like this guy and he was you know, a great player for me last year in fantasy. I'm just not 100% sure about his role this year. And that's going to be Tommy Edmond. And it's, you know, stop me if you've heard this before. We're worried about the role and especially we're worried about the batting order spot. Because last year, he he bounced around a little bit. And we've talked about this, how, you know, you couldn't really rely on him being the leadoff hitter. Even though he was for most of the season, I don't know that we are going to be seeing that consistently out of him. They have a few guys who could be at the top of that order. Like Lars Nupar, you know, that batting or that on-base percentage and that walk rate, should probably be at the top of a batting order. Newt Bar is projected to bat seventh. You know, right now, Edmonds projected to bat first, but his OBP projection, he's, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six guys, you know, five guys in the starting lineup projected to have a higher on base percentage than him. The speed is definitely what's going to keep him there some of the time, but I don't know if we're going to see it all of the time from him. And I think there is a bit of a concern, at least on my end, about the kind of counting stats we are going to see. How many runs are we going to see from him? The RBIs are always kind of low with him, even though the last couple of seasons we're looking at 159 games and 153 games. We're looking at 56 and 57 RBIs, respectively. Now, the steals are great, 30 and 32 the last couple of seasons. He is very consistent. Like the last couple of years... Essentially, cookie cutters, cookie cutter seasons. 11 homers, 13 homers, 91 runs, 95 runs, 56 ribbies, 57, 30 steals, 32, you know, 262 average versus 265. It's all, you know, generally in line. You could mix them around. A lot of people wouldn't be able to tell you which one happened which season because they're that similar. I just worry a little bit about what the Cardinals are going to do with him and if he's going to bat ninth because we saw that at times last year and it would drive me freaking crazy right up the wall. When you see Tommy Edmond bat in ninth, and it wasn't like a ton of times, but it was 31 times. I mean, 87 times he was leading off, which is all fine and dandy. 14 times bat in second. Again, no problems there. If he's bat in second, then he's still going to steal. He's still going to score runs. It's the other weirdness where he's batting six to 11 times. He's batting seventh, six times. He's batting ninth, 31 times. And the runs will still turn over there. Like he'll, you know, even if he does bat ninth, you still should see him get on base enough and people will drive him in. It just causes a headache, and it does limit at-bats still in the long run as well. So 
I don't know what their plan is with him in the long run for this season. If it's going to be, okay, he is our leadoff hitter. When we set the lineup card, we put his name in in pen every single day and just photocopy that because he's going to lead off. Or if it's going to be dependent on situation and pitching matchup and yada, yada, yada. I don't know what their plan is. And I think, you know, the concerns we saw last year, I think are warranted to carry over into this year in terms of where he is going to be batting. And that's pretty much the main concern there because the other stats, very consistent. Probably arguably the best stolen base producer at this position. You could make that argument pretty easily that he could lead uh, the position in stolen bases and it wouldn't shock you. Maybe Adelbert Omondesi would or maybe Bobby Witt or Trey Turner, but you could see Tommy Edmund do it. Wouldn't shock you. I'm just a little bit concerned about the role, which is why I have him a little bit lower than ADP. And I think the ADP, a little bit nuts right now at 75. Minimum pick at 55. That I can't get behind. I have him as the 11th second or 11th shortstop. He is ranked uh, 7th by ADP. And I think that's probably just the best I could do for him. Like, really, I can't see the argument to take him ahead of Xander Bogarts or even Dansby Swanson. Like, I think it's closer the more I look at it with Swanson. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to I'm gonna flip-flop. Bogarts will be 8. Swanson will be 9. But I can't see the argument to take him over any of these guys, you know. If you want to make the floor argument for O'Neill Cruz, you probably could. But the upside is so much higher with Cruz. The power is going to be so much better. The counting stats probably will, too. You're sacrificing a bit of batting average, but it's not like a crazy, you know, probably talking 25 points or so. It's not crazy, and I don't see a need for him to be going where he is going at this point, which is about the same pick where O'Neill Cruz is going. But if you have the both of them sitting there, maybe it's the second base eligibility that's pushing him up. I just can't get behind him. I can't at this point as much as I want to. Maybe the prices will be lower on different sites. But as of right now, 75, 76 it just feels a little high. And the minimum pick of 55 feels absolutely wild. So not for me. No, thank you. Uh, no Tommy Edmond at this point based on where he is going in these drafts. Number 12, we have Willie Adamas. And Willie Adamas kind of gets forgotten about a little bit in terms of this, uh, this position. He's going inside the top 100 still. But he is ranked 13th. <clears throat> I have him ranked at 12th. And I guess it is just because of the depth of the position. But... His projections are very, very good for this coming season. ATC has him down for 28 homers, 83 runs, 83 RBIs, 8 steals, and a 246 batting average. The only place you're really giving up anything there is batting average. You're getting four categories. And at that point, I think you can count those 8 steals as a category for him. <clears throat> he had 8 last year. Different projections have him for anywhere from 6 to 8. But you're getting, you know, could be 30 home runs. He had 31 last year, 25 the year before. We saw him have 20 in his first full season in Tampa. Like, the power is legit. The counting stats should be fairly legit in that lineup. I don't think that it's a great lineup. Uh, we're going to go through the Brewers pretty soon with James Anderson from Rotowire. Uh, he is going to be our guest for that team preview, and we'll talk more about them. Uh, I, I'm, we haven't set up a date. <clears throat> Sometime in the next week or two, probably, we're going to be talking. Uh, we're going to be talking about some Brewers. And I, I like the lineup. I like where he is in the lineup. And I think that, you know, even if the second half you know struggles, which you can expect it to based on the names there, it's not the greatest once you get past Jesse Winker, even Luis Urias, depending on where you want to look at it. Um, but the fact that Adamas projected about second, he's going to have Rowdy Telez, William Contreras, and then Winker behind him with Christian Yelich projected to be right in front of him. I think those numbers that we are looking at for him, which is 80, roughly 85 and 85, you know, 83 and 82, whatever you want to, you know, different projections have him for different numbers. But roughly, you're looking at 170 runs and RBIs put together. He actually drove in 98 last season, probably about as much as you could possibly hope for. I don't know if he's going to get that number again, but 170 runs and RBIs put together, 
closing in on double-digit steals, giving you 25 to 30 home runs, while not killing you in the batting average department. It's not going to be fantastic, but if he hits that projection of about 250, uh, you'll take that, considering everywhere else he is a more than positive contributor there. So I have him at 12. He's going at 13 on average, and it does feel kind of generally low, but that's just because of the depth of the position. Shortstop is incredibly deep at this point. It's also, as a side note, it's incredibly top-heavy. Um, once you get past about the 16th, 17th, 18th name on the board, and we'll, we'll get through that tomorrow, it'll be a tougher show, not as interesting the names we're going to talk about. Once you get past that point, there is a massive cliff with the position. So it is very much a deep position up until a certain point. And we're not quite there yet, but we are approaching the area where it will start to not be quite as rosy. And we're not, we're not there yet, but we're going to keep going. We're going to talk about the next name on the list. Wander Franco. Man, uh, what the hell is Wander Franco going to be in the major leagues? Uh, we really don't know. And I saw some tweet, and I wish I could remember more specifics about it. It was like a couple weeks ago now, but it was comparing Wander Franco at his age to somebody else at his age, and the comparison was very close. Uh, and it was like an all-time great or a current great. I can't remember now. I wish I could. Uh, it was a really good tweet. And, you know, it makes you look at Wander Franco and think, you, you remember, he's 21. Wander Franco was born in the year 2001. It's insane to think, but we still don't know what he can be. And what he's shown us at the big league level is, is incredibly good. Uh, I think the projections are a little bit too high, but what we've seen from him at the big league level has been, you know, this past season, over 83 games, a sub-10% strikeout rate, walking just about a league average 7.6% of the time. But when you're striking out less than 10% of the time, uh, you're going to be cooking with gas. You know, the power, I'm not sure how much power is really there, in the minor leagues, we've seen him, you know, have power at different for different stretches of time. Like rookie ball, when he was 17 years old, he had 11 home runs in 61 games. It's the most he's hit at any level, though. I'm not sure we're going to see what we're seeing projected from some systems, which is like 16, 17 home runs. I think that would be the upper end of the projection. You're probably going to see, I think, about 10 to 12 home runs there. Maybe we get 15 out of him, but I don't think we've really seen great power from him at the major league level just yet. Not ready to invest from that standpoint. I think when you're investing from is the fact that he's you know kind of an overall contributor, even if it's at a lower level in some categories, like home runs. Uh, you know the RBIs. Not sure exactly what they're going to be, but he doesn't hurt you anywhere. He's giving you decent production across the board, and you know uh, it's not like it's not crazy. It's not like he's going to give you 200 runs in RBIs. Uh, he's going to bat close to 300 though. He's going to give you you know it close to double digit homers and steals and that's generally what the some of the projections think is going to be like 17 and 11 i think we're going to see like 12 and 10 probably maybe we get to you know 15 15 absolute best case scenario with the you know expanded bases and different rules now around pickoffs maybe we get to see 15 steals from him i think the, the likeliest outcome is probably 12 and 10 with about 85 runs scored, about 70 RBIs, and the batting average is going to be a huge draw at this point of your draft as well. Probably close to 300. And when we're looking at the projections, anywhere from 280 to 286 is what they have him down for. At the big league level, over 153 games, 282 batting average. Definitely you can look at that and say, okay, he is... It's not like the largest of sample sizes. It's about a full season. But if you look at that sample size, 153 games, 282 batting average, you think that's probably sustainable. I think that's very sustainable for him. 
And the averages, I mean, it's not the same as when you're looking at like baseball reference where they got the 162 game average. But over this 153 major league games, he has 13 homers, 99 runs, 72 ribbies, and 10 steals to go along with that 282. Striking out just over 10% of the time, walking just shy of 8% of the time. The profile is ridiculous. Like, he could be a serious stud, and he's projected to be a serious stud in the long run. He's still very young. I'm not ready to dive in with both feet necessarily for this season, but I think that he is fairly reasonably priced at 91, maybe a touch expensive, maybe a touch expensive. But he's not going to hurt you anywhere, assuming he is healthy, which has been the question so far in his career. Is he going to be out there? That is kind of it. Um, lineup should be fine. I know Tampa does some you know devil magic, whatever they do. Um, every year to have great lineups, even though the you know the players you might look and say they're not the greatest or whatever, Yandy Diaz and blah blah blah, Harold Ramirez, but they're still they're still going to be good. We know they're going to be good, whatever they do, because that's just what they do. Uh, they put together these kind of cheap teams and they win a hundred games or ninety five games or ninety. What was it last year? It was actually only eighty six games last year, and that was the lowest win total for them in a while. The lineup doesn't look the sexiest. But they'll figure out a way to put together 90 wins and make the playoffs. And Wander Franco, batting, projected about second. He's got some nice names behind him in that lineup. Arose Reina, Brandon Lau. Talked about Harold Ramirez as a target of mine. I like him a lot. And then you got Manuel Margot, Isak Paredes, Christian Betancourt. It's, it's quietly a good lineup. And I think we could see Wander Franco really drive in, not even drive in, score about 90 runs uh, this season. That would be the upside. 90-plus runs scored, 70 RBIs. Roughly 10 steals, 10 home runs, and a 290-ish batting average. That's what I expect from him. And I think that he probably does make sense to draft. Even though the price feels a little bit high, the upside is there. So I am have him at 13. He is 11th by ADP. I wouldn't want to take him at the minimum pick, but there's not really many people I would want to take at their minimum pick at 65. Closer to the max at 116 is where I would want him. But if you're coming up on pick 100, uh, there's really not a lot of downside in taking Wander Franco. Unless, of course, somebody else slips that you like at the position or you really want to wait and go for somebody a little bit later on. Um, that's viable as well. There's a ton of strategies you can use for every position, specifically shortstop, because there are so many. Uh, but the price, it feels fairly reasonable while also maybe being a touch on the higher side, if that does make sense. A couple more guys to talk about here. going to round out the top 15. We are at number 14. And we are at Jeremy Pena, and he was another guy we talked about a little bit on that Sleeper in the Bust episode. We were going through sophomore players, and we are talking about Jeremy Pena, and Justin wasn't as big on him as I was. I think that Jeremy Pena is fantastic, and Justin does as well. Uh, I think he's just a little bit worried about the price, and you guys go back and listen to Sleeper in the Bust uh, from last Sunday, and we talked about him. Uh, somewhere in the middle of the episode, we talked about Jeremy Pena and his outlook for this year. And I really do like Jeremy Pena for this season. I think, and what Justin said is is very accurate on that podcast, we're probably not going to see a better season than what we saw last year. It's probably who he is. But we don't need to see big jumps from what we saw last year for him to be an excellent fantasy asset. He had 22 homers. He sold 11 bases. He batted 253. He had 100 and, what was it, 135 runs and RBIs put together. Probably on the lower side of what you can expect from him. Projections have him going for closer to 150 this year. The home runs and the steals and the batting average all projected to be pretty much exactly the same right in line with what we saw last year. And, you know, like we were talking about, that's fine. That's exactly what you're going to get out of him. He doesn't need to be a 30 and 20 guy to have value specifically from his draft slot, which right now is 116. He, we're approaching that cliff that I talked about. Uh, we talked about it with Justin and we talked about it earlier today 
not we're not there yet, but it's pretty close once you get to this point of guys who you should be targeting at shortstop. And after that, you're talking more, you know, your middle infield utility bench spots for, for those guys beyond. Um, not necessarily we're not there yet, but we're at a point where a bunch of shortstops do end up going in this range between 116 and about 135. If you don't have a shortstop by this point, then you really have to take a hard look at the guys in this range. And Jeremy Pena would be my preference in the range because of the, st- uh, the not five category production, but you're getting the speed, you're getting the power, you're getting good batting average, you're getting, I mean, good batting average, you're getting okay batting average, I guess, 253, uh, you know, potential for maybe a 260 batting average. The BABIP, not, it's 298, could be a little bit higher. Uh, but I would be shocked to see that batting average go up a little bit more. In the minors, he was closer to a 290, 300 hitter a lot of years. Uh, a lot. We're only talking about a couple years here. I mean, the guy is 24, just turned 25 years old. Uh, there's not a ton to go through, really, in terms of sample sizes. But in the minor leagues, we're looking at generally 290, 300, even over 300, depending on the level and where you're looking at. 2021 in AAA, you know, we're looking at 30 games. We've had at 287. So it's in him to have a better batting average. Maybe he gets the 25 home runs, but I think what we're looking at here at 22 is about correct. The projections, I mean, you can look at last year's numbers, and that's about what I project for him. Raise the batting average a little bit, and that's generally what you're going to get out of Jeremy Pena here, and I think that's totally fine. Astros did the right thing, letting Carlos Correa go very clearly because they replaced him pretty much one for one here with Jeremy Pena, and he's actually you know a better fantasy asset than Carlos Correa at this point just because of the speed. Everything else is very close, and it gives me a decent segue to move into the next guy I have on the list at 15 because it is Carlos Correa. They're very close. Um, you know, everything about them is, is fairly similar in terms of, you know, good defense, you know, 20 roughly home run, 20 guy, uh, roughly a 20 home run guy. I stumbled my words there. Forgive me. Uh, they're they're going to be fairly similar projections, but the fact that you're getting speed with Jeremy Pena as well, where you get literally zero from Correa. Like, there's very few shortstops who will give you zero speed. Even Like, if you look at the home run projected leaders and you go down from the top and you look, okay, it's Tatis and Seager and Adamas and Semyon. Okay, like, they have Semyon here because they still have him. He's still eligible on some sites, I guess. We're looking at NFBC eligibility. That's why if I missed a certain player... Uh, that you thought we talked about. That's why. But going through the home run leaderboard here by ATC projections on fan graphs, you're looking at the guys who are projected to have the most home runs. And Carlos Correa is projected to have the seventh most home runs at the position. But the other guys there at the top, you have 19 steals from Tatis, two from Seager, which granted, not great, but you keep going down. Eight from Adamas, 18 from Semyon, 16 from Bichette, 17 from Cruz. You get beyond Correa. We'll get back to him in a second. You got 14 from Lindor. 14 from Swanson, 29 from Witt, 28 from Turner. You know, you're getting speed from everybody here except for Carlos Correa, who is a literal goose egg in the stolen base department. That's where you have to kind of, okay, I know that there are some guys like even Corey Seager, you're only getting two steals out of him. What is that? You know, it's only two steals. But you're getting better production across the board from Corey Seager. You know, you're going to have more home runs from him. You're going to have likely better counting stats. You're going to have a better batting average. That's where it comes from. And, of course, you know, it's only two steals from Seager, but it's two steals more than we're going to get from Carlos Correa. He just doesn't run anymore. And, you know, he used to run. It was nice when he did run for fantasy. But it's really had to make us evaluate, reevaluate the way that we view him at this point. Like, he hasn't stolen a base since 2019. Did he? I don't even think he attempted one. Oh, he attempted one last year, and he got caught. 2021, there were no attempts. 2020, no attempts. 2019, 
And I just had an ad pop up here. 2019, one attempt. 2018, three attempts. 2017, three attempts. I don't know what happened the early couple of years of his career. He was 14 for 18, and he was 13 for 16 in his first couple of seasons. He has some speed. Like, he could do it. He just doesn't do it anymore for whatever reason. And I guess, you know, there is some, you know, we talked about his ankle and whatever's wrong with his ankle um, at the Mets, or was it the Mets or San Francisco discovered? I can't even remember now at this point. It was such a saga with him. I think San Francisco originally found the thing in his ankle and they that worried him. Maybe that has something to do with why he doesn't steal bases anymore. I don't know. I like Carlos Correa. I think he's a very fine shortstop, and we are. Pr- this is pretty much the range, folks. Like this at this point, like you can go Nico Horner. I suppose you'd go Ahmed Rosario, uh, who we'll talk about tomorrow, and then that's it. That I, I mean, you okay? You want to go Javier Baez as your shortstop? You're you're playing with fire. Tyro Estrada, yeah, you feel a bit safer, but still, at the end of the day, kind of not really hundred percent sure what you're going to get out of him. As much as I like him. You know, I don't know that I'd want him as my starting shortstop. Maybe second base because it's weaker. Then you could maybe talk me into it. Uh, but I think once you get past this point, you really have to start to worry, which is what makes you think, okay, at this point, Correa at 125, I'll take him and I'll take a shot on him. And you'll you'll think about that when you're planning out your drafts, or at least you should, about what value can I make up kind of later on down the board. He's a decent value a little bit later on if you're trying to wait on shortstop. You don't necessarily need to take one of the early ones, but you don't want to wait anywhere really beyond him. One or two guys, sure, but he's kind of the end of the line for guys that you can trust uh, in your starting shortstop position. Uh, There's a couple other things that kind of worry me about him. The counting stats have never been great. Like, even when he was in Houston, he had bad counting stats, and he's Missed time, too, so that that does contribute to it. But one year where he had over 100 runs, there was one time, all the years in those incredible lineups, he had over 100 runs. It was 2021. RBIs, he's had over 90 RBIs twice. One of them was in 2016, and that was 96. The other time was last year in Houston, 2021, his his last year in Houston, uh, where he had 92. Other than that, these are the RBI totals. 68, 84, 65, 59, throw away the short year, whatever, and then 64 this past season. Look at the run totals. 52, 76, 82, 60, <clears throat> 42. Throw away the short season again. And then you have that 104 with Houston. And then this past season, 70. The counting stats, <clears throat> they suck. They are not good for Carlos Correa. And it's kind of talked about like, oh, he, was a, he had a bad season last year for counting stats. He'll bounce back. Bounce back to what? There's nothing to really bounce back to. He's not, he's not a big counting stat guy. Even the projections... Like, they think he'll move up across the board in terms of runs and RBIs. I just don't see a reason to do that. Like, the team around him is okay. They're nothing to write home about, really, though. Like, I think Minnesota's fine enough, I guess. You know, I just don't get excited about that lineup. And with Correa, you know, he's batting behind Byron Buxton, who will be there for, Christ, I don't know. Who knows how long Byron Buxton's going to end up playing for. Maybe it'll be a lot. Maybe it, Maybe it'll be 25 games and he'll be on the shelf. I don't know. The lineup beyond those two, definitely iffy. You got Jorge Polanco, who, you know, I, I'm expecting him to bounce back, but he came off a pretty poor season. You now he's a th- he's the third batter in the lineup. I don't know that that's the most sound. You know, I don't know who else would bat third, but it's just the the situation that the Twins are in. Max Kepler fourth, Jose Miranda five, who I like, sure, um, but Joey Gallo, Alex Kirilov, Christian Vazquez, Nick Gordon. Not sexy. Nothing Nothing great. The counting stats, you know, they're not going to be fantastic. And, you know, I still have him as my 15th shortstop, Carlos Correa, and I feel comfortable in doing that. 
But we also have to look in, at the expectations of, okay, yeah, he's going to give you, you know, what's the most lofty projection here? That would be Steamer. Surprise, surprise. 86 runs and 78 RBIs. I don't see him adding 12, four, no, 14 RBIs and 16 runs onto his total from last year. I just don't see him doing it. I, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical of Carlos Correa in general um, for fantasy purposes, and I, I, I don't really like the guy personally either. There's also that, the whole Houston Astro thing. Like, I'll never really fully put that behind me, I guess. Those guys will always be tainted, Altuve and Bregman and Correa. There'll always be some stain there, and maybe that's a part of it. But also, just objectively looking at the numbers, he's not the greatest fantasy asset. He's much better in real life. He's an elite defensive player. He's a very good offensive player in terms of, you know, actual offense. Like his WRC plus last year was 140. But he doesn't provide that well-rounded fantasy game where I'm that interested in pushing him up very much. And he'll he's somebody who will be pushed up in your home leagues because he's that familiar name of, oh, Carlos Correa, you know, World Series champion, blah, blah, blah. All those years in Houston, definitely, I mean, good will, bad will, depending on how you look at it. But, you know, he had some pretty good offensive seasons. And I think he is he's viewed as... <clears throat> probably how's the best way I could phrase this the parts of the sum how god I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Welsh here and mi- miss up my phrasing the, the Jesus I know the phrase too the parts are greater the the equal greater than the oh god I can't even I can't remember what the saying is the parts are equal to the Jesus I'm gonna make a fool of myself anyway the team combined was better than the individual assets there that you were finding uh, sometimes like Jose Altuve. Yes, he's great. Kyle Tucker. He's great. Alvarez is great. Someone like, you know, Correa and even Bregman to an extent, you know, they were in those great lineups, but individually, you know, they weren't as great as we probably thought they were. Bregman had that one stupidly good year and then came down a little bit, came down quite a bit actually. Uh, and Correa kind of the same, you know, a couple of really good seasons, specifically early on for fantasy when he was stealing bases, but, you know, it hasn't been that great for a while with him. For counting stats, for steals, you know, he gives you good batting average. Last year was 291, which was the highest in a while. He should still give you a 270 or so. Like, that's, that wouldn't surprise me. But I don't think we can look at him and say he is a fantasy stud, which is the way that I think some people will be drafting him in your shallower format simply because of name recognition. And, guys, I just, I just can't do it. I like him at 15. I like him perfectly fine at 15, and I'm actually one spot ahead of ADP because he's going at 16. Uh, Ahmed Rosario is the guy that I've bumped out of that top 15 there for him. And it's not, you know, it's pretty close. You could make the argument for Ahmed Rosario, given the fact that he steals bases for you. It's not, it's not crazy. And, you know, I'm going to put Correa there because I think that the power and the speed and, you know, it'll still be decent counting stats. It's not like he's going to be nothing, but he's not a crazy good fantasy asset. Like I think some people view him as he's very good. He's much better in real life. But there's no need to be reaching for him because of any reason at all. There is no reason at all to be drafting him ahead of where he's going, which is pick 125. Unless you get to the point where shortstops are flying off the board, you didn't have one, you see, let's say you're at pick 110 or something like that, and Pena goes, and Adamas goes, and Rosario goes, and you're thinking, oh my God, I don't have a shortstop. I need to get one before it comes back to me. I'm going to reach around on Correa. That's about the only spot where I would be wanting to go ahead of ADP. So... At 125 overall, uh, that feels pretty okay to me in terms of the overall shortstop rankings, 16, 15. I have him at 15. I'm fine to see him at 16. No real problems having Ahmed Rosario a bit ahead of him. 
But it's just tricky, guys. Uh, rankings are very tricky. Appreciate you guys sticking this one out with me. A bit of a longer pod here as I work through some of the process with you guys. This is I said this before on the pod a few times. It's almost like a therapy session to just work through these rankings with you guys. So I appreciate you guys. I said guys but a million times there. Appreciate you folks hanging out, listening to me ramble on about one of my favorite positions, but also a tricky position to rank because there's a lot of guys that are fairly close together there in the middle. Once you're talking about the, you know, Edmund, not even Edmund really, by ADP anyway, like Edmund to like, you know, Willie Adamas area. You're talking about like six, seven shortstops going off the board there in a span of about 25 picks, 30 picks. So I think there is, uh, it's pretty close in that range once you get past like O'Neill Cruz. Um, even Xander Bogarts, really. Then there's a clumping of a lot of guys who are very close together. So it does make it a little bit tricky to rank them. I appreciate you guys listening and hanging out with me here. If you guys want to support us over on Twitter, you can follow me at JoeOrico99. Also at EthosFantasyBB. I know I rhymed that one off like twice a show, but I really want you guys to go and hit the follow button there. That's the best way you can support. Also, if you subscribe to the pod and leave a positive review, that'd be great as well. But going to Ethos Fantasy BB, hitting the follow button, make sure you get, I mean, hit the notifications. You get these pods as soon as they come into your feed. You get all of our articles as soon as they're dropped. And you can check them out at sportsethos.com. That's where all of the live stuff, or not live, but the brand new stuff will come out on the website at sportsethos.com as well. Not just baseball. You got basketball, football, hockey, soccer. We got disc golf. We literally have got everything going on at sportsethos.com. You guys should really go check it out. We'll be back again tomorrow. We'll talk over the second half of the shortstop rankings. We'll go through 16 to 30. You thought the first half was tough to rank. The second half uh, puts it to shame in some regards. But we will get into all of that tomorrow night. Until then, take care, everybody. Have a great night, and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.